Thanks for choosing to listen to another City Point West podcast. I trust that this message empowers and encourages you to continue your journey of faith. Enjoy. And we're going to spend some time over the next month looking at relationships and how we do that and friendships, how we do that in every area. Uh, In a couple of weeks, Pastor Wendy and I are going to share together on relationships. Uh, I was thinking over the last couple of weeks as I prepped and, and prepared to do this, I was thinking about a couple of years ago, if you've been here at West for a long time, Wendy and I preached a message once in the same T-shirt. And uh, it was our Get Along Together shirt. And uh, it was tough work preaching out of the same T-shirt as my wife. Uh, Number one, trying to keep my hands to myself in that T-shirt. Always difficult with the beautiful wife that I have. Uh, John, I'm not sure why. It's beautiful Pastor Wendy and awesome Pastor Tim. I felt like it should have been beautiful Pastor Tim as well. But... uh, I get it, I get it, I get it. Uh, listen, as I get into this series, let me just, if, if you don't know me very well, let me give you a little insight into me. Growing up, I was a very introverted person. I stand up on this platform, not because I'm an extrovert. Uh, my father is an extrovert. Uh, my father, I've grown up with a dad who is lonely in a group of 200 people because there's not enough people around. Uh, Listen, he's the sort of dad that has rung me at five o'clock in the morning all of our life because he had no one to talk to. Uh, he's been up praying for hours and, he, and he's ready to talk to somebody right there in that moment. And he knows that my mum would have hated him for talking at five o'clock in the morning. So he'd ring me. And uh, all of dad's friends know that if the phone's ringing at five o'clock in the morning, it's dad ringing them because he's needing somebody to talk to. That wasn't me growing up. Uh, I was the exact opposite to my father. I was a very introverted personality. I grew up being very happy to be by myself. Uh, I, I enjoyed fishing. I, I was the sort of kid growing up that I would get on my bike, ride five kilometers to the river and go fishing by myself and enjoy my own company a lot. Uh, the exact opposite to my dad. Uh, listen, I, I do what I do and love engaging with people because I encountered God. I encountered the power of the Holy Spirit. And the call of God to become a pastor is something that had to shift in my life to become who I am. Uh, it's not my natural bent. I naturally am that introvert. Uh, I, I love spearfishing. Listen, I love spearfishing better than line fishing for one reason. I get to be in the water and nobody's talking to me. It's even better than line fishing. No one can ring me on the phone. My dad can't ring me up and talk to me. I'm in the water by myself and... Uh, and that's why I like hanging out with Andrew Jones, because under the water, I can't hear him talking to me. No, it's not true. That's not true. Uh, I, I, that's my natural. My natural is that introverted personality. And, and I'm the sort of guy, listen, I know some of you in this room are a little like me. That meet and greet moment where we go and shake hands, I know that the bladder gets weak in that moment. And you can feel that last song's finishing. John's got up here. He's doing lead. He's about to say, let's turn around and talk to someone instantly. Oh, I've got to go to the bathroom and just, and just, you know, because you're that introverted personality and everyone starts speaking to you and you all of a sudden start feeling awkward. I know you're the guys that just like to sneak out at the end of the service. And when we're singing that last praise song, you know it's time to run before people talk to you. Listen, I know some of you in this room are like that. Uh, that's me naturally. I'm, I'm naturally that sort of guy. I'm naturally that sort of guy that can sense that song coming and want to do the runner right there in that moment. But 
listen, the kingdom of God isn't about just doing this thing alone. My, my series is about, is the title of my series is Alone and, and Walking Alone and, and how we try and do that. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. This picture here is a picture of humanity that isn't best alone. Even us introverts in the room, the guys that just are like me and you can enjoy your own company and you don't mind being out alone. God hasn't created us to be that way. Listen, this church, this deal together is powerful because we walk together, stand together. And listen, a part of it is simply the fact that together, someone else can tell us that when we're alone, we're growing some weird stuff in our thinking and stop the way that we're thinking and let's just change who we are. This is the power of the church sometimes. I am grateful that even as an introvert, there's been people in my life that slapped me around and said, Tim, stop this stupid thinking. This is why we come together and build together in connection. But listen, even us introverts can be lonely. We live in a world right now that loneliness is one of the key factors that is affecting our world like never before. Mother Teresa said this, the most terrible poverty is loneliness and the feeling of being unloved. A woman that understood poverty, was in the midst of poverty, had a great understanding that the poverty of loneliness is even bigger than that financial poverty and other areas of poverty in our life. This generation knows the curse of loneliness. This generation knows what it looks like. And listen, it gives us an opportunity as the church like never before to influence, to bring life and to bring love and to bring connection in such a powerful way. And I trust over these coming weeks as we talk around the reality of building connection and and building relationship. Again, we're going to talk about marriage over time. We're going to talk about family. We're going to talk about friendship. We're going to talk about connection. And we're going to talk about the power of what it is to have relationship here in the church together. And I trust that it can encourage you over these coming weeks in our lives, in who we are, as we build that together. Is that a good thing? I think it is in a powerful way. And, I, and, I was, and as I said, I've been studying and thinking and praying over these couple of weeks about what I'm going to share about. And I really felt God just wanted me to lay a foundation by opening the book of Second Peter. And we're going to have a look, starting at verse 1. Who's actually got a Bible in the room? Who's got a physical Bible? Do we have many physical Bibles? Oh, look, up the back there, in the middle there, up the front here. They've got some big Bibles there. i got my Bible. you got, ooh, some big ones. I was watching the Jesus Revolution the other day. And I, was, and I was looking at all the hippies with their Bibles, and they're like, yeah, the Word of God. And I was like, old school, old school. We have it on the screens now. And look, at even Dad has a mobile phone that has a Bible. Wow. Listen, if you're 200 like Dad and you've got a mobile phone with a Bible, that's okay as well. Listen, the Bible these days on mobile phones, we can have hundreds of, uh, of uh, translations right there and easy to look at. It's a cool thing. It's an awesome thing. Praise God for technology. But praise God for some old school folks in the room that bring your Bible to the house of God. That is really cool. First, uh, sorry, Second Peter chapter 1. Listen, uh, this book here is written by the Apostle Peter. And uh, many theologians have spoken about this over time, uh, talking about others that penned it for him. But this was written by Peter to churches and to leaders and encouraging them and and uh, uh, earlier on in the year, we spent some time in First Peter. We actually walked through uh, three or, or so chapters in First Peter. 
And we touched on two verses here in First Peter earlier on at the start of the year as we talked about, uh, about our lives and growing and sanctification and, and, and the building of our lives. And, and Peter does this really well. He's, again, he's writing to a church. He's encouraging people. And he starts, uh, as many of the letters, listen, many of the, the books in the Bible there in the New Testament are letters written to the church. He starts many of these letters with just a greeting. And this is Peter's greeting. I, Simon Peter, a bondservant and the apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who've attained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and, our, and of Jesus our Lord. Listen, this was a common greeting. Uh, if I was to give it to you in a modern day common greeting, this is like saying, G'day, mate. Yeah? This is Aussie, G'day, mate. That's like a hello. It's his greeting. I know it's big and I know it's superfluous. And I know you feel like, oh my gosh, can you believe this bloke wrote that? But listen, he was writing to people. He was trying to make it bigger than, hey guys, what's going on? You know, when your text is like, hi mate, good morning, what's happening? This is his greeting to the people. Verse 3 and 4 are the verses I touched on earlier on the year. And let me again go into those. As his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Listen, God has empowered us. We've been empowered through the Holy Spirit. In our lives, he has already given us these things. If we look in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, when Paul is writing, he says, Praise be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. This is an inputting of the Holy Spirit in our life. If you're baptized in the Holy Spirit in this room, you have this power already evident in your life. Now you need to keep giving yourself to the power of the Holy Spirit so that He can make it known to you the power that's already in your life. Verse 4. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Listen, I ask you if you have your Bibles with you, because if you carry this book around, you carry these promises that come alive through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we live in a generation that puts away the power of the Word of God. Can we always be a church that comes back to the power that's in God's Word? Church, church, I don't want to just say this and just go on. I want to say this and let it sink into our spirit. This Word has power. It has truth. It has life. It's life for us, life for who we are. And we must keep giving ourselves to the Word of God. Coming on a Sunday morning, and that is the only time you encounter the Word of God, is not enough for a generation that is trying to fill us with lies, fill us with brokenness, fill us with mess. Every day on your social media, every day in the media, every day around you, everywhere you go, there's lies and brokenness. Fill yourself every day with this Word. Church, if I can do anything as a preacher, I want to push you to the Word of God. I want to push you back to what God says. And in fact, I would say this week, homework from the very start, come back and read these passages of Scripture in Second Peter and meditate on it, think on it. I'm going to open it up. I want to talk about it, but I want you to keep meditating on the Word of God because right here, Paul makes it so true, so profound, so powerful for us to know in our lives if we bring ourselves back continually to the Word of God. 
to his promises. We become partakers in the divine nature of God that gets shaped in us. Listen, the enemy right now wants to shape our nature. You see it every day through culture trying to shape our nature. That's why Paul so powerfully said, don't be conformed to the culture of the world. Be transformed by the renewing of the mind. And if you want to know the most powerful way to renew your mind, get into the Word of God. Meditate on it. Think on it. Grab the promises of God. Think on them. Meditate on them. Know what they are. Just let them be around our hearts and our lives. This is what Peter was trying to show us. He says, through the power of the Holy Spirit, be partakers of the promises of God, of the Word of God. Meditate on it. Be alive in it. Let it change us. Let it just change the divine nature of who we are. Because it's divine nature. Listen, He doesn't want us to be trapped in that old sin nature. I know some of us may be in this room and you feel the trap of the sin nature that tries to drag you back. Sunday morning in church when the worship's going, you think I've got this and my old nature's gone. But Monday morning in the workplace when everyone's swearing around you and there's influence all around you, that sin nature's screaming at you. But he says we become partakers in a divine nature of transformation. Transformation. And then we're going to go on and read in verse 5. And he says, but also... For this very reason, giving all diligence to add to your faith virtue. Listen, I need to just walk through slowly here. Can you come with me slowly through this? Because there's only a few words here, but they are powerful and profound. Powerful and profound. Listen, he's talked about the the power of the promises of God. He's talked about the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And and listen, the only reason I'm not preaching out of those two verses more is because I already spent a couple of weeks in those two verses early in the year. And and so I I don't want to stay there. I want to move on to what Peter continually brings us here. He says, but for this very reason, what reason? That we are partakers in the divine nature of Christ. He says, because you are partakers of a divine nature that's in Christ Jesus. Because you have brought your life before Christ, because you're saying, Christ, I want to be changed and shaped through the the, the process of regeneration in my life now into the image of Christ. Because that's you, he says. Because you're a believer in this house and being shaped and molded in a powerful way. He says, this very reason, give all diligence. You know... There is a crazy dichotomy of faith. Let me be really clear. It's not your diligence that saves you. You are saved by faith in the beautiful grace that's in Jesus Christ. Listen, it's not your diligence in action. It is the finished work of the cross that has wiped away every handwriting of requirements that is against your life. It is the finished work of the cross that has taken every area of sin that was in your past, every area of failure that was in your past, and it has been done away with because of the cross. It is a finished work for my life and yours. And the Bible says we access that finished work through faith in Jesus Christ. That's how we access it. We come back. And we access again the beautiful grace that's in Christ. The unmerited favour that's for my life and for yours. Our past is washed away through grace. We've got to be really clear about this. Really clear. It's the finished work of the cross. It's a beautiful work for our lives. But Peter meets us here. And he says, now 
you've saved. The divine nature of God is coming alive in you. And because it is, give diligence to your future. Give diligence to your walk. Give diligence to your life. Give diligence to where to from here. The here is the action of grace that has washed away my yesterday. Now listen, if you don't know Christ in the room, you're not walking with Jesus, I'm telling you, at the end of the service, we would love to pray with you. We would love to just lead you into a relationship with Christ and lead you back to the power of the cross. It's there for your life. It's there for your past. It's there for your failures. And it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. But Peter comes now to speak to people that have accessed that grace, accessed that faith, and he says to them now, show diligence to add to your faith. Show diligence to add to your faith. Diligence to add to salvation. Listen, I I pray that we aren't a group of believers in this room that come to faith and are happy to scrape our way into heaven. I pray that's not us. I pray that's not you in the room that sit here and go, listen, I found grace and it's enough for me. I want to stay in my addiction. I want to stay in my brokenness. I want to stay in my mess because grace is enough. Paul, uh, sorry, Peter here in this point says, now you've found grace. Your past is washed away. The old is gone. But now he says, add diligence to your future. He says, add to your faith virtue. Add to your faith virtue. Add to your faith virtue. Add to the finished work of the cross virtue in your life. Add to the fact that you are forgiven Virtue now into your continuing. What is, what is this word virtue? If we go back to the Greek word, we look at the concept of moral goodness or moral excellence or purity. He says, now add to the reality that you've come to the cross and Jesus has forgiven your yesterday. He's forgiven your failure. Add to that this growth in your morality and the way that you live. Change the way that you are, that you bring purity around your life. Let me speak to you in this room. If you've just come to Christ and you're not sure where to go from here, Peter's showing us, listen, as Christ washes away yesterday, He cleans up our tomorrow. The work of the cross has washed away your yesterday, but He's trying to shape how we live tomorrow, how we walk, how we talk. Add to our salvation a change and a transformation of our actions so that we start to walk differently. We start to live differently. There's a difference in the way that we outwork all of our life. And he goes on, he says, add to your virtue knowledge. He says, keep adding, keep adding, keep adding, keep adding. Listen, I want to speak to you today, church. He says, keep adding to our lives. Keep adding growth to who we are. This is this process of transformation and sanctification that is powerfully outworked in our lives. Again, this is all empowered through the Holy Spirit. But he says now, add to this process of sanctification, there's faith that you encounter Christ and you have faith as you believe on Him and you believe on the cross. Now now add to that a, a change in your action and a way that you live. And change in your action now, add to it some knowledge. This word is gnosis, if we go back into the Greek. It talks about knowledge or doctrine. Or wisdom. Or wisdom. Listen, this word is filled with doctrine and wisdom and knowledge and truth for our lives. 
If you're in this room and you don't know your word, start to know it. I know you may be new to faith and, and, and starting to read it is, is difficult. Again, this is why we don't do it alone. If you're in this room and you're struggling, you're get in a life group. Get involved in a group of people that can help you with this, that can encourage you in knowledge and in wisdom and, and help you to grow in that and help you to get into the Word of God. Because it's not enough just here on a Sunday morning as I speak and praise God for it. Praise God for the preachers in this house. I'm grateful for that. But get in and have knowledge. He says, add to your action, your virtue, add knowledge. And then he goes on in verse 6, and he says, to knowledge, add now self-control. Add self-control. If there is a bigger challenge in life than self-control, I'm not sure what it is. Listen, if you're in this room and you've ever joined a gym, you would know self-control is the biggest challenge. Not paying for gym membership. Listen, even people like myself that don't like spending money, the struggle of paying for gym membership is nowhere near as tough as the fact you've got to get up in the morning and go to the gym, right? <laughs> self-control is a killer. If anyone in this room has ever been on a diet before, you would know that self-control is the biggest challenge. We like to tell ourselves the biggest challenge is to find the right diet for me. <laughs> that ain't the challenge. The challenge isn't finding the right diet, it's sticking to the right diet. Because self-control is our challenge. Self-leadership is the biggest issue that we face in our lives. You know, we can tell others what to do well. If we find knowledge, this is what he's saying. If you find knowledge, you can easily tell everyone else how to do it. But finding knowledge and applying it to your life, that's the tough gig of the Christian journey. Finding knowledge is a step to self-control. Because there's no use self-control if we don't know what we need to control in our lives. But Peter here says we build on knowledge with a healthy dose of outworking our knowledge. In fact, we understand the Word of God tells us being doers of the Word is the outworking that's the important part. So knowledge is great. Virtue is wonderful. But an outworking of this in our life is essential. Self-control. Oh my God, I am grateful it is a fruit of the Spirit that the Holy Spirit puts into our lives. When we keep bringing ourselves before the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, strengthen me. Strengthen my control. Strengthen my thinking. Strengthen my actions. Strengthen my walk when I'm feeling challenged in the outworking of my life. It's an inputting of the Holy Spirit in us that continually brings self-control. But Peter's speaking here. And remember, he said, because you've encountered God, add faith to that. Now add virtue to that. Now add knowledge to that. And now he's saying, now add the self-control to carry the knowledge that's in your life. And listen, if he just stopped there, it would be a demanding challenge to us. But he doesn't. Because he says, now add to self-control perseverance. Listen, a diet for a day is vastly easier than a lifestyle change. Can I have somebody that gives me an amen to perseverance and self-control? Self-control is hard, but to persevere in self-control is something that is profound. Listen, Peter's writing here 
And he says, you've understood and you've encountered the beautiful grace that's in Jesus Christ. And now you're adding to that virtue. And now you're adding to that this outworking in your life in a powerful, powerful way of knowledge. And now you're adding to that knowledge of self-control as you build your life and you're shaped and molded into the image of God. And through that, you're adding perseverance of your self-control. Listen, I, I know as much as anybody in this room that true life transformation comes in perseverance through self-control and the knowledge of how God wants us to shape our lives. Listen, God doesn't want us changing for a day. He doesn't want us to be shifted for a moment. He doesn't want us changed on a Sunday morning and the rest of our lives stay the same. He talks here about this great perseverance that continues. But let me be really clear. Self-control is impossible without God. I was talking to somebody during the week and they're like, PT, this is so difficult, it's so difficult. I said in that scripture, with man it's impossible, but with God all things become possible. Self-control, with man it's impossible, with God all things become possible. Perseverance in self-control, with man it's impossible, with God all things become possible. But listen, as we bring bring perseverance to our self-control, change becomes permanent in our life. As we're shaped to what Peter tells us comes next, add to your perseverance godliness. At godliness, at godliness. This word godliness here that's interpreted in the English talks about somebody's inner response to the things of God, which are seen outworked in their lives. It's the inner response to God's work in us as we persevere through self-control and knowledge because faith was the foundation point and now we're building and we're establishing it in that comes the reality that we build godliness. We become loving. We become generous. We become power-filled, hope-filled, life-filled people. As godliness becomes the center of our life, becomes the center of who we are. This is Christ-like living, and it's powerful and it's profound. He's saying we build this, and we add to, and we add to, and we add to, and we add to, and we add to. And we add to, and we add to, and we add to. But then he goes on in verse 7. And something odd happens. He says, now add to godliness brotherly kindness. This, This to me, as I read it through, is an odd picture. Because remember he says, start at faith. Faith attaches you to his grace. So start at faith. And from faith, begin to build virtue in your life as we shift, as we change, as we evolve. He says, now add to that virtue knowledge and an understanding of how you are to grow and how you are to build and how do you enlarge. And then add to that knowledge, that understanding, a self-control that gives you the ability to keep growing and keep changing and keep evolving. And add to that this incredible ability to persevere in a world that wants to pull on you and change you back and to shift you in your workplace and shift you in your environment of friends and, and do all of that. And, and he said, and then all of that gets added to this picture of godliness that comes alive in your life. But he says, add to your godliness a love for all the brethren that are around you. Listen, this brotherly love is a word Philadelphia. It talks about love in the church to the brethren like brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Listen, brothers and sisters in Christ isn't a cliche. It is a biblical command. It talks about a biblical command of us, you and I, being shifted and changed and shaped into godliness and then building connections in our church environment as if we're building connections in our family environment. Now, now listen, I understand some people come from a challenged family environment. I, I do get that. I do understand that. And, and they're trying to understand a, a, a brotherly connection and a sisterly connection in an environment where, where it's disjointed in your natural brothers and sisters environment is challenging. And, and listen, that's why sometimes church is challenging. Because we come here not quite sure how that actually fits and how that actually works really well. And, and we come and we think that brotherly love is telling our brother and sister off. We, we feel like that's probably it because that's how our home life works. Listen, he's talking here about a connection of genuine care for others, like brothers and sisters in Christ. And I know, I look across this room and I see that outworked in a powerful way. And what I love about this church is it's not outworked with, with one group of people. There's cross cultures right across this church that have love and connection, cross age groups, cross, cross cultural barriers, cross ethnic barriers. I love that about this church. It is a beautiful thing because it's a command of God for our lives. In fact, he says, as you built all of these things in your life, as we get to the pinnacle of how Peter wants us to live and to build as the apostle of Jesus Christ, as one of the leaders in the early church, one of the pinnacles here is to actually love each other in the church setting like brothers and sisters, caring for each other, building relationships together. Now, listen, I'm, I'm reading from the New King James. What, 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 do you, what ver, uh, translation do you have there? NIV. In the NIV, does it state, and it may do in the NIV, does it say introverts aren't a part of this? It doesn't say that. No. What, what, do you, what translation have you got there? You got NIV as well, so it's the same. Anyone got a different translation from the NIV? Just to see if introverts are left out of this one. Anyone else? What else have we got up the back? Someone out at the back. What, what translation have you got? You're New King James. You're the same as me. That's awesome. I noticed in New King James, Dad, on your phone, I'm sure if you searched all of them, you would not find an addition here that Peter says, hey, for the introverts in the room, again, forget everybody else. You're in this alone. I can't see that note. Listen, I spent some time studying. I went to King James. I went back to the original Greek here. And there's no addition to that. I know some of you introverts have written it in the margin yourself. Don't highlight your own writing there today. I want you to hear the truth of the Word of God. Because it's not added in there for you lot. It isn't. Because we live in a world right now that this becomes even more powerful. Again, I, I, I look at a world where cultural difference right now, and, and we're living in a, in, a, in a nation where that cultural difference gets pushed and there's opinions flying everywhere and, and sometimes hurtful to our nation, which is sad to see, hard to watch. It's difficult. But I, I walk into this room and I see it left at the door and I praise God for that. In this room, there are people, no matter where you come from, no matter your background, you come in here and we grab a hold of what Peter's written for us right here. And he says that we bring brotherly love and brotherly kindness and we're standing together with each other because he's building to the top of this list. And it's important because right now, this nation and the nations of the world need the reality of what this is. He goes on and says this, 
the very top of the list. And to brotherly kindness, add love. Add love. Now, I've said this many times, and it's the truth. English language is stupid. It's very unfortunate. We have one word here, love. And listen, if you're in this room and you've heard the statement many times, love is love, you've heard a lie. Every ancient language has a multiplicity of words for love. English language isn't an ancient language. It's a young, stupid language that has caused a bunch of confusion in people's lives by making statements like love is love. It's not. This word love here has got nothing to do with sexuality. This word love here hasn't even got to do with friendship. This word love here is the word agape. It is outworked in a picture of giving, preferring other people before ourselves. It has worked best when we look at the cross and Jesus finished work for our lives. The sacrifice that gave grace to us. This is the picture that best shows us what love is. Not a beautiful word of let's be loving each other. No, it's a picture of giving and preferring other people before ourselves and saying that somebody else is more valuable to me. Yes, brotherly love, this connection of brothers and sisters, but he doesn't leave it there. He says, hey, listen, in this setting, we've got to realize that if we're adding to our lives, we're going to add God's love to us. A picture that says, listen, we walk into a relational world that now says other people are more valuable to me and we care for other people. This changes the world like never before. Stephen Maraboli said this, when the world makes me feel like I'm alone, love reminds me otherwise. Listen, love, love. Again, not, not this lie of love is love. The English word of love is twisted. It's full of deception, lies and mistruths and half-truths. Love isn't just love. When we look at the reality of this, there's a greater love than we have ever known. If you don't know Jesus, you can't know the great power of the transforming love that's in Him. That's in the fact that a man, while we're yet in sin, as Paul writes to the Roman church, while we're dead in our trespasses and sin, Christ died for us. While we had our back turned to Him, He died for us. While we were hating on Him, He died for us. While we turned ourselves away from Him, He died for us. This is the love that we see right here. He said, add to the fact that we come together as a group of people and then we add to it love for each other that's powerful and profound. In verse 8, He says, If these things are yours and abound, you'll neither be barren or unfruitful. If you keep adding these things to your life, You'll grow and you'll grow and you'll grow. You won't stay in the old broken culture, he says in verse 9. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, in verse 10, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call an election sure. What a statement. I don't have the time to really unpack that right there because it's powerful what he's saying. If you do these things, you will never stumble. This week, can you go and just read through those verses and see what Peter's reminding us to build into our lives and to add? Listen, if you thought that coming to church and just getting saved and putting up your hand and praying a sinner's prayer was all there was, Peter's saying, hey, 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 add to your faith all of these things as we grow. 
And he says, For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For this reason, I will not neglect to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in this present truth. In this present truth. Listen, he's not talking about present truth. He's not talking about 21st century truth, that whatever you believe is truth. That, that's deception. Can, can I just be really clear? Present 21st century truth, however you feel today is however, whatever you want to believe is whatever, that's deception. This present truth he's talking about is wrapped up in a book that for 2,000 years has been truth and it's shaped and molded culture. And it's only when culture moves away from this truth that we get into the deception and the brokenness and the lies that is destroying culture today. He says, yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir up and remind you. Listen, our job as pastors is to stir up and remind you to engulf this truth, to eat this truth, to live this truth, to let this truth change you powerfully in your life. Now let me close. Let me pray. Holy Spirit of God, thank you for truth. Thank you for an unending, unfinishing truth that's the Word of God. It's the truth that we stand our lives upon. Through the, the challenges of this generation, my God, I pray you give us the strength through the Holy Spirit to stand in truth, to hold on to truth, to be shaped by truth, to be molded in the power of truth. We need your truth. It's a wonderful thing. We praise you for it. My God, I thank you for that truth that starts in the reality of salvation through grace. The great grace that comes from Christ, we attach our faith to that today. God, I pray for people this morning that maybe don't know Christ in this room, haven't attached their faith yet to Jesus. I pray that today the hearts would open to the beauty of the gospel, to the beauty of Jesus, to the beauty of the cross, to the beauty of your great grace that stretches out for our life. As I close here this morning, my heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you're here today, you don't know Christ. You're not walking with Jesus. You don't know Him. You haven't yet attached your faith as I talked about the forgiveness and the grace that comes from the cross, if you're here and you have never done that, I'd love to pray for you right there in your seat. If you're saying, yeah, Pastor Tim, I want to do that. I want to just attach myself to that. I'd love you just to give me a wave and say, yeah, Tim, can you pray for me in my seat? I want to come to a relationship with Jesus. Quickly this morning, maybe you've been in this room and you've walked with Christ before and you know today you've just walked away. You need to come back into a relationship with Him. Reattach that faith in your life quickly. Tim, pray for me. Pray for me right where I'm at. Awesome. That's great, man. That's so good. You can put those hands down. Awesome up the back. That's wonderful. Quickly this morning. I don't want to rush because it is a powerful, powerful moment. Life-changing moment. My God, I thank you. I thank you for the beauty of the cross. I thank you for what it represents. I thank you for the great grace that's attached through the work of the cross for every one of our lives in this room. My God, all of us sit here, those three responded, but all of us sit here grateful for the beautiful finished work of the cross. And I pray right now, my God, as those hearts opened, as people slip their hand in the air, the hearts open right now here in this room, here in these seats. My Jesus, I pray for your hand upon those lives today. My God, I thank you 
that the promise of your word is our yesterday is washed away. Your word says that our sin today is cast as far as it is from the east to the west. The finished work of the cross. My God, it's enough. None of us in this room have been caught in sin too great. But the beautiful work of the cross, your word tells us. As we open our hearts, you come. My God, I pray right now for those three this morning. That you'll touch their hearts. You'll touch their lives by the great work of your spirit today. My God, even this morning, as you're doing such a great work in those hearts, my God, there's healing there today. My God, there's deliverance there today. My God, you're washing away words. You're washing away brokenness. You're washing away sin. You're washing away mess. You're washing away despair. Oh, you're pouring out your great Holy Spirit. Grace and love right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I know this message will keep speaking to you as you continue your day. So for more information about City Point West, jump on citypointchurch.com or follow our social media accounts, Instagram, City Point West, or our Facebook, City Point Church West. Have a great day.